Hey, everybody, we are here to tell you about a cool new feature on the website that we would love for you to check out. Head to howtosplitatoaster.com and check out the bottom of the page. You'll find a box floating there that says, quote, ask Seth and Pete, close quote. This box is magical. You just type a question in there and the robots behind the scenes will search the actual audio of our entire library of past episodes and not only give you a short answer to your question, but point you to the specific episodes where we discussed your topic so you can listen yourself. At this point, we're just testing it. To know if this feature should be a permanent feature on the website, we need your help. For that, we need you to ask a lot of questions. So head to howtosplitatoaster.com and click the box, Ask Seth and Pete. The robots will do the rest. On with the show. Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today, your toaster has a new setting, Narcissist. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're talking about the narcissistic spouse. Specifically, we're going to talk about how to communicate with your narcissistic spouse while you're on the road to divorce. To help us, we have Victoria McHughie, a narcissist divorce coach who has been through her own divorce from just this sort of person who has turned that experience into a powerful mission to help others do the same. Victoria, welcome to the toaster. Thanks for having me. Oh, Victoria, it's so good to have you here. So we're talking about narcissism today. You are a, uh, a noted narcissist co- divorce coach, right? And that is we, correct. I just watched, uh, like I binged your videos on oh. your YouTube page. <laughs> and uh, you had one that really stuck out to me, and I wanted to dive a little bit deeper on it uh, with the with the two of you today. The, the concept is that you present the... Uh, the three stages of communication with a narcissist spouse. I think that's really interesting because so far when we've talked about narcissists, there are all kinds of kit gloves that we have in communicating with a narcissist spouse during a divorce process. But being able to adjust the way you communicate and the way you handle yourselves in the relationship by stage and or phase of the divorce process, I thought was really interesting. So I wonder if you could just kick us off by just walking through the basic premise, and then we'll we'll talk about a little bit about where that intersects with the legal stuff. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, thanks so much for having me. You know, I love to talk about this. So many people need this information. So I love it when you are putting it out there uh, for people to find. So I've identified that there are three distinct phases for a person leaving a narcissistic spouse. The first one is where you don't even think you can leave. You're just trying to wrangle the whole idea of how am I going to leave this toxic situation? You're not even sure you can. You're trying to get your ducks in a row. You're trying to figure things out. You're getting information. You're reaching out. You're binge watching videos. You're doing all these things. Uh, hopefully, you're trying to get documentation in order. You're going through accounts. You're getting information that might go missing once they know you're planning this. 
departure. So that's the first stage. The second stage is when they know you're leaving, like maybe you file for divorce or you tell them and you try to go to mediation or there may be a custody battle. That is the the stage of the actual divorce process. And then the final stage is everything after that, when you are maybe co-parenting or sharing custody, or if you even if you don't have children, you might still be settling the accounts, you know, having to go through the motions of moving 401ks, you know, all the other things that you're ordered to do afterward. So those are the three phases. In the first stage where they don't know, you want to get a head start. You want to have the upper hand, right? You want to keep this a secret because it does not behoove you to come out to the narcissist that this is your plan because now they can sabotage it. Well, it feels really risky, right? It feels like that's when you're at your most sort of subversive and secretive. And I can see... And vulnerable because, yeah. yeah. I can see how that could feel like dangerous or wrong. Yes. And the people who are in relationships with this type of personality, this is very uncomfortable for them because typically when it's a narcissistic man, they're the good girl or um, they're the law abider, the rule follower, the ambitious, conscientious one who is the empath and tries to fix everything for everyone. Right. Because the narcissist is leaving a wake in his path. Right. In your example. Right. Right. So this does not come easily to a person like that living this double life, right? It's very uncomfortable for them. That's why I think it's so important for them to have some kind of support through this. People who are close to them may not really get it, may have been snowed by the the narcissist, may not understand the Oh my God, he's so nice. He's so helpful. (laughs) He does everything at the holidays. Such a good dad, though. He's such a good... Yeah. So um, you might not be able to confide in the people you normally go to for support. So that's why we have coaching and support groups and all these things. And I'm wondering, Victoria, and actually, Seth, like, at what point do you, is it safe to turn to your attorney for support in in this sort of gathering stuff? Like, at what point is it too, is it too early, too late? It's it's not too early. And it's never too late. Because through the divorce process, we can always get the documents, it just gets harder. And longer. Right. This goes back to having someone who's educated about their finances. And just figuring out where your tax returns are, your checking accounts, your credit card statements, your brokerage accounts. Now, a lot of this stuff is done online these days. It's not like you can steam open the mail and seal it back. God, are you? There was a day I would have eaten that up, steam open the mail. I'm a real James Bond in my head, Seth. <laughs> well, and you know, with that stunning haircut of yours, you know. <laughs> uh, so it, it it can be more difficult. Much more difficult. I mean, they are not incentivized to let you see anything. So you know, they don't want this to happen. They like everything right where they have it. <laughs> Right, right, right. So I, I, and I guess when we're talking about phase one, right, when you're doing all of this, you know, undercover research on your marriage, uh, what are the what are the triggers that you need to be watching out for that you know that you're in a place of of risk? Like what what is the narcissistic you know divorcing spouse gonna do? It's a dance. 
<laughs> you know, the more control you try to take, the more abusive they have to become to keep you from taking more control. So you have to do it undercover. Uh, if they know you're snooping or getting curious about accounts or trying to find more information out about their business or whatever, you know, they're going to figure out that you're getting too close to things they don't want you to know about and the, the abuse will become more difficult to deal with. It'll escalate. Yeah, yeah. I think you called this phase the Stepford phase. Is that the accurate? Stepford wife phase? Stepford well, you know, most phase. of it. I have to admit, I, I have had many men in my coaching programs, but most of my clients are women. Um, so yeah, it's the Stepford wife phase in that you pretend that everything's fine. Everything's not even status quo, better than status quo. Like you don't, you pretend like you don't even know that the abuse is happening, the verbal abuse or the degrading or the whatever that is in your home, you pretend like it's not even happening, that you don't get it. You're so dumb. You don't even understand. So you're just smiling your face, going about your business, like just you're not making any waves. Okay. So then, Seth, did you want to say something? I want to transition to the divorce phase. I, I'm waiting for you to get to step two. That's where I was about to chime in. Yeah, I want to talk because this is this is where we get the, the rubber meets the road, right? This is when you're actually transitioning to the legal phase. Yeah. So what happens to these people, the the abused party, the, the one who is the victim of the narcissistic abuse is compromised. You've been in this relationship for years, maybe decades, where you are compromised, you're your self-esteem, your confidence, your self-worth have been whittled away. You're really fragile. You're like a shell of a person. And this is when you have to go present yourself in front of a judge, a parenting coordinator, a forensic psychologist, whomever, to prove that you're the better choice for custody. And you're not even who you really are. Or just to be believed on the numbers. It doesn't always have exactly. to be a, a case. So you're right. So I'm going to say some phrases. Okay. And Victoria, let me, the question is, do these sound like phrases um, the victim of a narcissist might hear? I'm going to give you X number of dollars in our settlement. And if you hire a lawyer, you're getting nothing. Absolutely. That's a threat. Total threat. Like, I'm going to give you X, but if you go talk to anybody, that's it. And that keeps all the control with them, right? Right. But what we know as people who've gone through this or on the other side, is that you can't believe any, nothing they tell you is true. So it's all a manipulation to get you to behave the way they want you to behave. And it seems like even less of it is true over the course of the divorce process, right? It, it, it sounds like it degrades the further you get from. Right. So I want to focus on this point for a minute because I, I, I deal with this a lot. They know that they're being manipulated or that they've had this abuse. So the victim, let's just call the victim my client right now, and the narcissist is on the other side of this case. I will get calls, and what happens is they believe what he says. And I said, I will say to them, you tell me that he always lies. <laughs> and if he's always lying, that means we don't believe anything that he says. So. You have to check yourself immediately to be like, this is his tactics. This is what he does. This is his, his, his modus operandi. This is it, right? 
Right. I am not going to let myself take that bait anymore. I am going to change the way I respond. And that is hard. I'm not saying this is easy. How do you help people do that? This is exactly where they need the help the most because they're just programmed. It's, uh, you know, this almost Stockholm syndrome where they, they want to believe everything. Um, but they know their intellectual mind knows that they're always being lied to, gaslighted, all these things. But they want to believe that the person is good, true, whatever. So um, I don't know if you've binge watched this other video that, where I talk about understanding what is real and what isn't. Like figuring out what is reality. It's really hard when you've been living in the bizarro world for so long where you have been made to believe all kinds of things that aren't true. So now it's about every time something's presented to you, every time, every word out of the narcissist's mouth, you don't take it face value ever. You have to actually analyze. You have to weigh the, the percentage of the chances of that it's true or not. Like, Chances are it's not. I mean, if you look at all the things the narcissist has said to you, probably a bigger percentage of them are false. So let me give you some examples. You're not going to get any money out of this. You'll never see your children again. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go. I'm going to go through them, Victoria. You're right. So one, never get any money. They call me and I say, "Well, how long have you been married? Anything titled in your name? No. That's okay. Did he earn money during the marriage? Yes. Did he put in a bank account? Yes." Half that money is yours. That's still there. How much do you spend on your credit card a month for you? $5,000. Okay. You've been married for 20 years. This is an alimony case because you don't work. It's like, so I just try to debunk everything they say. I will never see my children again. And then I say, well, that would be the first time ever that I had a case where one parent never saw their children because I have had cases where children were abused by their parents and the parents still get to see them. It's supervised, but they still get to see. So everything they say, I have to give an example or two or three, whether it's in the law or by analogy to other cases that I've had or hypotheticals to have people understand the concepts. But check with your lawyer on this when they try to scare you. Right. Yeah, because it sounds so much like authenticity and sincerity are at very best a tool, but at worst a weapon in the mouth of a narcissist. And you have to figure out, right, how to handle the emotional and logical boundaries that you have to put up between you and the narcissist. Because as Seth says, the world is very different than what comes out of their mouths. Now, we all know the legal system is flawed. <laughs> like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> How did Victoria get on this show? <laughs> they make mistakes. I mean, yeah. things happen. But right. that is that is the reassurance I always give my clients to. And they say, no, and he says, I'm not going to get any money. I'm never going to see all the threats. I go, there are laws in place. That's why there are laws in place. That can't happen. It won't happen. Okay, but I have to say, because I've been involved in a situation like this, it's very close to me, that there are still people out there who, when presented with those quite specific lines, decide to stick around and work it out and try to navigate because the threats feel so real. There's a statistic out there, and it may be the same for men, but I just happen to know the statistic among women who are trying to leave an abusive marriage 
or relationship, I think the statistic is on, try seven times before they end up leaving for good. Wow. Average, on average, seven times because they're wooed back in or threatened back in, sabotaged in some way, beaten down. It takes them seven times. Wow. Wow. That statistic does not surprise me. Yeah. At all, Pete. And the reason I say that is every family law attorney I know has had clients that have hired us, reconciled, which you think, man, that's great. They're working it out. Saving relationships left and right. And then hired us again. Yeah. And again and again. Yeah. So it's not easy. No one is saying this is easy. That's why we have the toaster is we're giving people information we hope is helpful. So you cannot believe what they say. Double check it. Right. So typically I'll tell my clients, like I'll tell them that statistic and I say, my job is to lower that number. I'm not saying the first time you're not going to say, okay, well, maybe this time he's really going to change or whatever the thing. I, I understand that and there's no judgment. I know I did it. Like, but I, let's get the number down a bit. Mm-hmm. All right. We'll be right back after this message from our sponsor. Seth, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, about 10% of children live with a parent with an alcohol use disorder. It's just tragic. Pete, we hear this statistic all the time. At the end of the day, the courts don't care about the statistic. The courts care about keeping kids safe. And when I mean safe, I mean safe from a party who truly suffers from an alcohol disorder or is being wrongly accused of having alcoholism or some other alcohol disorder. It's easy, and it saves you money. Instead of he said, she said, there's Soberlink. Soberlink is fantastic, and they are a fantastic partner to this show. So what is Soberlink? Soberlink is a device. It's like a breathalyzer, but it is more. You blow into Soberlink whenever you want to prove in real time that you are safe to be with your kids at carpool, at drop-off, at handoff, whenever you're going to be driving. You blow into Soberlink. It uses facial recognition to prove that you are the one blowing at the time that you are taking the reading. It sends it off to the people who need to know. People involved directly in your case, not to be used for publication, not to be used for social media. This just goes to the people who matter most for your case as you are collecting data. Soberlink Remote Alcohol Monitoring has helped over 500,000 people prove their sobriety and provide peace of mind during parenting time. And Seth, word on the street is courts love it. Yeah. And it's not just when you're getting in a car. Let's be clear. People can say, never gotten a DUI. What's the issue? Well, the issue is once you're home at five o'clock and you're no longer driving, but you're going to start cooking and having a glass of wine and that glass of wine turns into two bottles, that's now an issue. So it's not just getting in the car. It's when you, the children are in your care, custody, and control, are you focused on them and not using alcohol? Independent, third-party, real-time verification to support your case. I haven't been drinking Here's the proof. Those are the words that lawyers and courts love. But here are the words you're going to love. You can save 50 bucks off your device and get started right away at Soberlink.com slash toaster. That's Soberlink.com slash toaster. Thank you to Soberlink 
for sponsoring this show. So we were we were in the middle of talking about this phase two, right? And uh, a, a, about how you communicate during the actual divorce process, and which has to be very different, yes. right? Yeah, how is um, it different? Typically, people, if you look at most narcissist broadcasts, podcasts, whatever, they say no contact, no contact, no contact. Don't talk to the narcissist. Well, have you ever met a guardian ad litem or a parenting coordinator who understood why you can't talk? to the narcissist, <laughs> they're going to say, you're the problem, you're uncooperative, you're not collaborative, you're not working together for the sake of the children, you're not, you're not, you're not. So you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Yeah, that's best for you. It's best for you not to have any contact. So if you have to talk to him, how do you do it? You are polite. You're friendly even while their eyes on you, while you're under a microscope. You're even good morning. So the coach called and Janie's game has moved to seven. Hope you can make it. See you there. Like, you know, you're that way because they're judging you. <laughs> so you, you don't take their bait. You're very careful not to take the narcissist bait, but you, you know, you've heard of Bill Eddy's Biff, you know, brief, informative. Sure Talk so, about it all the time. All yeah. the time. So, you know, I came up with a, a different one where it's stuff. It's, uh, and I'm not going to remember <laughs> all the things because, um, it's about one topic per email, right? Because, you know what happens. It all gets garbled. And and it, let me be it, very clear. We're not talking one topic with 27 subparts. No. <laughs> right. One issue, only information, only facts, and make sure it's thorough. One, the T is for thorough in that you, you know what the agreement says. You know all the details around the specific topic. You know that there's no gray area. You know that you're, you know, it has, you have to work so hard to not let them get any little opening <laughs> to twist it up. I have a little different approach to that. Okay. Is, I, I really subscribe to the Biff method, which is brief, informative, friendly, and firm. Right. And the thing that I've seen work very successfully is not trying to not give them any openings because you'll drive yourself crazy. I just say, what, what information do we need to communicate? And I just narrow it down and narrow it down, and narrow it down. And I explain to my clients that this is actually what I do when I prepare for court is I have a vast amount of information about a case and the law and how the law will be applied to the case and how this one sentence could be read one way or the other way. I have this vast amount of information and I only have so much time. So you have to try to be succinct and persuasive. When you're dealing with the narcissist, you're just trying to be succinct. You do not try to persuade. You're just giving the information and if they take it, they take it. If they don't, they don't. But it's less about what they're going to do, and it's more about how you communicate. I guess what I meant was that you don't give it an opening like, I really hope you can make it because it's really important to Janie that you're there, that kind of stuff. I agree with that. Okay. Right. 
No, no wants, wishes, hopes, dreams, your opinion, nothing. Excise right. that from your vernacular completely. Yeah. I, and I, I get that. I feel like the, um, you know, what we're, the, the other piece that I'm inferring from the conversation also is that once you're in the divorce process, there are other people's eyeballs on these communications. Uh, right. That when you're sending an email like this and you're dealing with these kinds of things like that can be copied to, you know, counsel that could be like you have to have some sort of visibility that changes the dynamic. How many of your clients are on a parenting app? Like now, almost all of mine are ordered to be on Our Family Wizard. Right, where they can communicate. You can track the communication. You get the full dialogue. You see when they sign in, when they don't. You can't delete it. You can't can't change it. it. You can't edit it. And I've used that successfully. And this is no secret, Pete. We've talked about it on the show before, where I use it because they sign in at one in the morning on the night that they have the children. I'm like, what are you doing up at one? Right. I mean, there's all sorts of other information that people don't realize that you get or don't get. And you get to prove the negative. Judge, they didn't even bother opening it up. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Which I think is actually I mean, that feels to me like a significant difference from phase one to phase two is that you're on stage now. Your communication as divorcing partners is on spotlight. So, you know, you can have experts sign into your account, right? You can have therapists and coaches and whatever. So what we'll do is I'll have a client email me and go, I have to answer this email. It's really triggering this message. And uh, then I can actually go look at it. And then they, I I never write it for them. They craft the email and I might suggest some edits, right? Before they send it. So they got a buffer. I usually get my clients laughing about those emails and yeah. messages when as they fast call as me. You can. <laughs> when they call me, I, I said, "Okay, let's go through it." And and I also point out, well, hey, there's a good point in here. You can't always discount the message because of the messenger, right? And they're so triggered. <laughs> they're so emotional about it. I will then say, "I want you to pretend this is written from your mother to you." Right. And I'll change the the sender and read the line. And they're like, well, that's no problem. Well, if that's no problem, then then you're having a response to the sender, not to the message. Exactly. So we got to really parse that out. And I will tell you, I've read thousands and thousands of text messages between people going through divorce, thousands and thousands of emails. Judges are over it. They, what does that mean? They're over it. You, it is not persuasive for a lawyer to come into court with a thousand text exchanges. The judge is like, "Give me your best three. Right. And you know what I find clients doing? They're they're trying to voice record everything, right? And then they're sending twenty half hour recordings. I'm like, nobody's listening to that. There is nobody. <laughs> I listen because they no. send it. But yeah. w- we had this exact issue in a case, more than one case. This is this is a tactic that I frequently use. They are in an argument, and the other party pulls out a phone and starts recording, or the child is having an issue, and they pull out the phone and start recording. So when I have them in a deposition or on the stand, I said, was your child in distress during this moment? Yes. 
And did you make the decision to record it instead of helping oh. your child? Oh, snap. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Right, right. You chose to gather what you thought would be compelling evidence for your divorce case as opposed to helping your child. Yeah, that's a really good point. But man, can I see how you might get there, right? Like, man, I can put myself in that in that position of that parent making that call and just trying to to help make the strongest case possible about why I should get what I need to get or I should have these these, you know, constituent like objectives met in my case. If I just had this one last bit of just the the shining silver bullet evidence, Seth, maybe it's that call. Maybe it's that event in our house that I'm recording. I could see how you might get there emotionally in a moment of heat. Just hope Seth is not your uh, your ex spouse's attorney. <laughs> God, he's hard on me as a podcaster. Jesus, <laughs> I'm so nice to Andy though, <laughs> our producer who we don't let talk. But no, but that's the type of thing that you have to understand when you're going through this process. Is you're not the lawyer. You're not the one gathering the evidence. You're 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 just trying to get through the fucking day. Yeah. Right. Okay. And sit down with your lawyer and ask them, what type of information do you need? When these things happen, what do I do? So these are conversations we have on the front end of cases, not in the middle of cases. And you would be surprised of the things that as lawyers, we have to tell our clients because it just makes so rational sense. But when you're emotional and you're in it, it's different. It's different. It's just different. And so it's never that, oh my God, I can't believe our client's so dumb. It's like, God, they just got triggered. They got emotional. They were being emotional, not logical. Let's be logical about this. Well, and those those triggers are, I think, the like that feels like the the key thing to learn about yourself in the process of particular any divorce but divorcing a narcissist in particular right like if the more you can learn about yourself the more you're helping yourself in your divorce case victoria well the stronger you can get emotionally uh and spiritually financially for sure and mentally even physically the the better you're going to be able to react keep yourself poised, show up in the best way when it matters, you know, all these things. And that's part of my program. You know, I say there are two silos that we have to work on at the same time. There's the business of getting the divorce done. But, you know, I say it's like, it's a business. It's just breaking a contract. It's a, you got into a bad timeshare and you need to break this contract. You can't get out of those, Victoria. No, timeshares <laughs> are, are much harder than forever. divorce. Yeah. 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 Wow. I wish for a bad but, divorce. So know, getting out of a time shift. You're going you're going to take a financial hit. You can't you can't expect to get out without costing. So it's gonna cost, but it's in the big picture the better option. Um, but at the same time you have to work on yourself. There, you know, we work on self care and and getting uh doing affirmations and morning rituals and Lifting yourself up, and I try to pull them out of, like you said, you're binge-watching my videos, pull them out of that, because you know you can go down that rabbit hole. And then all you're consumed, and you stay in this victim mentality, because you're just like all about narcissists all the time, all the time. So I try to pull them out of that and put them into consuming more uplifting, positive content. 
more more Ted Lasso. Why they're yeah, Ted Lasso's awesome. But why we're talking about that before, and I really want to talk about phase three after the divorce. But yeah, for sure. One last point during the divorce. Talk to your lawyer about these issues and see how they're gonna present this in court because in my experiences, judges hate the following, the word narcissist, because they hear it all the time, parent alienation, judge, they just lie all the time. Nothing you can say is true, okay? Like, these type of things, when I get the initial call from a potential client and they tell me these things, I will let them know, do not label anything that your spouse has or has not done. Tell me the behaviors. Exactly. Because that is what is persuasive in court. Yes. The patterns of behavior. Absolutely. Right. Let's transition to phase three. Okay. So phase three, the ink is dry. You're divorced. All the things are done. Um, that doesn't mean you're never going back to court, but at least, you know, you're not under the microscope right now. Um, that is when we go gray rock. You know, that's when we, we don't even sprinkle in the night. It's just, you're a robot, you know, you're talking and you're, I try to explain to them, you're talking to a robot. They are, you have to communicate, you have to exchange information, logistics, whatever. Um, but that's it. And you don't talk about, oh, what are we going to get Johnny for Christmas together? You, you, or what are you getting him? Because I'm going to, no, like no information. Uh, if you're, if you're bound to tell them in your agreement, when you're leaving town with them, itineraries, you do it at the last possible moment you can get away with legally, according to your agreement, they will try to sabotage anything they can. They will <laughs> undermine front run. I had uh, my ex-husband found out uh, my mother and I were taking them on a cruise, uh, the Disney cruise. So he took them the, mo- the month before. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, you know, just anything they can do yeah, to uh, right. to, to make it to ruin to spoil your fun. <laughs> All right, so you're a stoic in phase three. Yes, absolutely a stoic, and uh, the, the hardest part is not intervening on your child's behalf. The other thing too is remember, people get divorced from narcissists that don't have children with each other, and you also have to remember you're going to have to unwind some stuff. You're going to have to do the four hundred one k the transfer with a quadro. You might have to sell the house. You might have to get a quick claim deed. So the more of that, that it can go through the lawyers in in your agreements or if you're in court and you're asking for things to be done, ask for timeframes. And I do my best to not say, judge, I need it done within 10 days of the day of the final judge. I say, I want it done by July 27th at noon. I am that specific. So it just makes for a crisper, cleaner agreement. Because when you say 10 days, Pete, or 20 days. Oh, but it was a holiday. Oh, the, but... the rules are different. What do you count? When is it starting the next day? Is it the holiday? Holidays, right? Yeah. Like, so, just, so true. just make it as crisp and clean 
and tight as you can. And those little things on the front end help this communication on the back end a lot better. Right, right, right. And to that point, when you do share children, you have to make sure there are no loose ends. Like if this happens, then this happens. If that is a holiday, then this happens. If whatever, you have to know everything that could fall through the cracks because you don't want to have to figure it out later. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it this is it feels like we have we have poked the bear on a couple of really key points and we could probably talk for hours and hours and hours but uh, I will have to save that for another time first please tell people a little bit about what you do as as a coach for exactly these circumstances yeah yeah so you know it has um, <laughs> my niche is I'm a narcissist divorce coach so I help people and you're right about putting that label on judges hate that. Um, and people always come to me and say, well, I'm not sure if I can divorce my husband because I don't know if he's really a narcissist. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. Well, you don't need to be a narcissist to be divorced from, right? <laughs> you can also so, just be a jerk. <laughs> or just not good in bed. You can right. pick any reason you so, want. So bou- bouquet of reasons you can get divorced <laughs> Lots with. Lots of different reasons. Yeah, right. but, so, I mean, we're all on a spectrum, right? We all You have to have a healthy dose of narcissism to have self-esteem and confidence, right? But if they're so far on the spectrum that it's toxic to you, it's unhealthy for you, then yeah, you need to get out of a toxic marriage. So, so I help them through all these stages, you know, beginning, some people come to me after the divorce is final and they're struggling with the custody situation and communicating there. But, you know, in every stage. Um, and I wanted to add, cause I think Seth will like this. One of the things that I do while they're engaged with an attorney, well, I, I help them figure out how to interview attorneys and how to choose attorneys and also how to communicate with their attorney so that hopefully I can minimize their legal fees. You're, you're brilliant. Your brilliant. <laughs> I'm happy about that. That's great. Because I mean, I know I did and I see my clients try to do it all the time, sending the attorneys every day pages long emails about what happened and how upset they are. And, you know, it's like, they don't need to know this. And so when they do, we figure out together if they need to contact you at all. And if they do, I edit it. So you know, I was a writer for 35 years before I started this coaching business. So I edit it so that I have headers. Like if you're talking about the house sale, if you're talking about visitation, if you're talking about whatever, and everything is a bullet. It's just bullet, 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 well, bullet. Well, this is this is what I say to my associate attorneys when they're drafting legal documents or even letters to opposing counsel. I say, it should look pretty. And they're like, what are you talking about? Look pretty. I said, if you look at a page and there's just straight words, there isn't like a header of one, parenting issues, two, house issue. Like you want to break it up and make it, easier for the reader to digest and Easy get to, digest. to where they're going for Absolutely. the information. And if you need to go back and find it again, how quick is that, that you can put your hands right sure. on it, right? Sure. Well, incredibly useful. We have, uh, we've got links to all of your socials, especially that Sweet, sweet YouTube page that I uh, <laughs> that I binge the heck out of. Uh, we've got links in there, victoriamakui.com. Victoria, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thanks so much for having me. It was so much fun. And I, I think we have this whole conversation to have about dealing with a narcissist after divorce. We're going to have to table that for another time. So that, that'll be a little plug for next time we talk to you, Victoria. Great. Thank you so much. On behalf of Victoria McCooey and Seth 
Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney. I'm Pete Wright. We'll see you next week right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.